You're going to the doctor, and you're going this morning. Don't you think you're making a kind of a big business over a few brown hairs around my ears? It's not just a few brown hairs around your ears, and you know it. There's more there and down there. Well, <laughs> mother, I think you get a little personal there. It's not funny, and don't make out that it is. You know what's happening as well as I do. You're getting younger. That. That's crazy, yeah, but it's happening. Look at that sky, life's begun. Nights are warm and the days are young. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Golden Years. Can't you see what's wrong? I'm old. I don't want you looking at me because I'm old. I've never felt old before because we've always been together. And now I'm old. Today, you're 65. You'll have a birthday again in another week, and you'll be 60. And then in a few days after that, you'll be 55, because it's not slowing down. Part of the Stephen King movie retrospective series. You just open your ears and listen. You can hear it. I hear it. I hear it all the time. Hosted by Arnie. The guy that started this party. Stuart. You want to sign in? If I have any choice. Not on this ship, you don't. And Jacob. What I expect from you is team play. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Arlington gave me the clearance up on the file. Listener discretion is advised. Like now? Like now would be fine. Run for the shadows. Run for the shadows in these clothes. Today we're discussing Golden Years, starring Keith Zarbajka, Felicity Huffman, Ed Lauder, R.D. Call, Bill Raymond, and Francis Sternhagen. Directed by a whole bunch of people, but created by Stephen King. This is your boy Arnie, ready to live out my golden years. And Stuart. And this is Jacob in, what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? I can't believe we're doing this whole tea. This is like eight seasons or something. <laughs> Not the Wonder Years, Jacob. No Fred Savage. Oh, wait. Oh, Golden Girls. Let me look up their theme song. I- Thank you for being a friend. Yeah, there we go. That's the theme song I should have said. <laughs> and welcome back to Stephen King again. Yes, to one of his most beloved projects. I'm sure everyone was wondering, when will we get <laughs> to his 1991 TV series that nobody watched even back then? Even I didn't watch Golden Years. (laughs) I knew of it, but I didn't watch it. Right. We knew we were getting back to King this week, actually this Thursday on CBS All Access. There is a new version of The Stand that begins. We're going to cover that. So we were just kind of doing this show to let everyone know, hey, CBS, Stephen King, hopefully it gets better. 
Well, we haven't seen the stand. Hopefully it gets better than golden years. Oh, showing your hand early. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> We're here to talk about the first pairing of CBS and Stephen King, because it's a little different than his ABC miniseries. But yes, he is still working with them. And this new stand, from what I hear, it has a new ending. That's a good thing. It better still have that hand of God show up. <laughs> I don't think so. I think Stephen King wrote an entirely different climax and watching that now that we've lived through a pandemic it should be interesting yes several episodes are written either by steven or his son owen king but for this i mean we didn't do the dead zone tv series because nobody took the five seasons of the dead zone and decided to compress it down to back in the day two vhs tapes and say now it's a movie but I think this is a little bit more manageable because this only lasted seven episodes in 1991. This was actually on television? Someone okayed this? A novel for television. That was the quote. I remember this. And, you know, we have talked at length about how David Lynch opened the doors for movie directors and people that don't normally do television to tell their personal TV series. I get it. CBS, out-of-touch executives... They see what's going on with ABC and Twin Peaks and think, who can we get that's weird? Stephen King. Let's just greenlight whatever he wants to do for a summer series. This is back in the time where a regular television season would be 23, 24 episodes. Summer meant, ah, we could just make it short. Yeah, seven episodes, seven hours of whatever he wants to do. You say David Lynch and Twin Peaks. That was like, this is a direct result of that. They wanted their own Twin Peaks written by Stephen King. Here's the full story behind it is keep in mind. I mean, we're going through Stephen King's works by the publication date. And I think something we can see by looking at Tommy Knockers and looking at Langoliers and looking at Golden Years is he was toying with science fiction instead of pure horror. And he'd had this idea knocking around in his head about writing a novel about an old man who gets caught in a blast and starts getting younger. And then he started thinking about it more and like, this should be a TV series. And he'd been approached since the early 80s to do a TV series. But they didn't want this. <laughs> no, I don't know if any of us wanted. I guess that's what we're going to be here to discuss. I agree. They had been trying to sell him since the early 80s to have a Stephen King horror anthology series where he would introduce the series like Rod Serling with The Twilight Zone, and each one would be a tale of terror taking place in New England. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to do that, but he came up with this idea, and he worked on it for a couple of years and approached TV networks, and none of them wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to touch it. And he just kept working on it. So when you say he kept working on it, on scripts, this is not a novel. This is not a short story. Correct. He called this his first electronic novel because it was going to be a series with a defined beginning, middle, and end. And this was part of the problem was he was approaching these networks and saying, it's going to be one season and done. It's just going to be like a long mini series. It's going to be a regular series, but it's going to be one story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. That doesn't sound crazy now. I mean, that sounds like something HBO does regularly now with Watchmen or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's ahead of its time for television, to be honest. It's something that you see networks starting to do. They started with Lost and things, but 
he wrote an article about the origin of Golden Years for Entertainment Weekly, the week Golden Years premiered. And I reread that article, and what he talked about is as a kid, there was only one TV series he really loved, and that was The Fugitive. And he liked that it told a complete story instead of being completely episodic where, like, Star Trek, what happens one week doesn't matter to the next. It felt like The Fugitive was pushing a narrative, and then when it came to an end, it had a really conclusive ending that excited him. And so he was thinking about that kind of a model as he approached television. And finally, his agent got him in with CBS after Twin Peaks. With Twin Peaks coming out, people were more open to talking about experimental television. The other reason they took this meeting was the previous year, Stephen King had had a huge success on ABC with It. Right. Yeah, that was a big deal. And again, nobody probably thought that network television was ready for Pennywise in the same way that nobody thought David Lynch could pull off some of his crazy stuff. So again, I can see how they would think that both these guys were the same kind of edgy vision of horror. But this is CBS. Now, CBS was the number one network in 1991. <laughs> Despite golden years. What a crazy year to be alive. Yeah, I, I do remember when CBS was like at the top. It's I don't know, maybe Big Bang Theory got them back there, but they were a joke most of the time I was growing up. But they ruled at one point. Yeah, they're big hits. I looked up the top rated television programs of that season. Number one with 60 minutes on CBS. <laughs> So a news program, two was Roseanne, three was Murphy Brown. Other big hits for them were Designing Women, Murder, She Wrote, Major Dad, Northern Exposure. Major Dad was a hit? Yeah, it was one of the top shows of 1991. But to me, they were the old person network, you know? Murder, She Wrote, that's all you got to say. Angela Lansbury, that was the face of CBS to me. Dr. Quinn, yeah. Again, I, we're saying the same thing when we say they're the number one network and they were uncool. The number one people that were watching television were old people. Like, that was who stayed home and watched TV. Younger people went out to the movies. I remember having very little interest in television because they couldn't give me the same bang that movies could until David Lynch brought Twin Peaks to ABC. Says the man who introduced me to Head of the Class and Growing Pains and Who's the Boss and Sledgehammer. Yeah, no, I had those two years. I had those two years in the 80s where I did nothing but watch television. And then, like, I got a job and, like, I didn't really watch. I mean, and, and again, there were a lot of Twin Peaks ripoffs. This is one of them. Many of them were more successful than Twin Peaks, but I didn't watch any of them. X-Files, Northern Exposure, Picket Fences, all of them came out of how do we exploit the concept of a small town with big secrets. I was a David Lynch fan. I wasn't a TV watcher. And so I missed this when this came out. I missed it too. I never watched an episode, despite being a really ardent Stephen King fan around this time. I mean, I saw The Lawnmower Man in theaters. <laughs> I saw Sleepwalkers in theaters. You're wearing that cybersex shirt in the mall. Like, yeah, you're all... Had you heard of this, though? Like, I'd never even heard of this. No, I knew that it came out 
I'd read about it in Entertainment Weekly. I was reading that every single week. I was a subscriber, and this was a cover story. I was well aware of it happening. This got the cover of Entertainment Weekly. Wow, this was supposed to be a big deal. Well, that was back when it was weekly. Now it's monthly, even though they call it Entertainment Weekly, and the cover's a much bigger deal because they have far fewer of them. Yeah, they do varying covers now. Here's your 16 Star Wars covers. (laughs) It was always a running gag of, like, anybody could get on the cover of EW. Like, they had no standards whatever starlet of the week well obviously if this show made the cover and king of course forged a relationship with him he would end up becoming a columnist including very recently i know he's been doing that quite a bit but he went to them and he was like i've got this idea for this one series and it's just one and done but tv executives were like but what if it's a hit if it gets a lot of ratings how do we continue it and so king kind of dangled the idea that this character of Terry Spann, played by Felicity Huffman, could be a main character, and each season would be a new story that she would find herself in the middle of. But this would be the only season dealing with this reverse-aging plot. Mm. Now, I gotta ask, was he in any way influenced by F. Scott Fitzgerald? Because the only other author I know to tackle this high concept of growing young was Fitzgerald's Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which, of course, later became the the David Fincher movie. So Benjamin Button's not based on Golden Years. That's what you're telling me. It's not. And in fact, well, I mean, the only similarity, I read it. I went and found it to see if I, I could see a connection. They both have eccentric humor. Unlike the Fincher movie with Brad Pitt, which is really somber, it's played for laughs. It's played for goofiness. I don't think you could tell a dramatic story, which this is attempting to do, with such a weird concept. It's funny by nature. And I think King was really building off of Twin Peaks in that regard. His exact quote at the time is, if you think of Twin Peaks as a man, it's a man in delirium, a man spouting stream of consciousness stuff. Golden Years is Twin Peaks without the delirium. Oh, it's got plenty of delirium. There are (laughs) marionettes being shot at in people's offices. There's all kinds of crazy going on in this. But I would say not everyone can do what David Lynch does. And that becomes evident once you get into this quote-unquote movie, as we're calling it. And it became a movie after it got canceled, right? I remember it showed up on VHS in two cassettes that you could rent. Yeah, it was... This is when I saw it. Here's the history of the show, though. It was a summer series, which these days is a thing, right? I mean, these days, America's Got Talent runs every summer and gets huge ratings, and there's series that run in the summer. But in 1991, if you were on in the summer, you were basically dog shit. I mean, nobody watched TV in the summer. They flooded it with reruns, and... I believe the first series to have a successful summer run was 90210, where they just kept it going all year, all summer, and then the next year. But putting this on in summer seems to me like a sign of no faith. And a way to make it a a shorter season. I mean, again, if you were on in the fall, you would be expected to go all the way through spring. So in its premiere... Golden Years came in sixth for the week, and I don't think that's very bad. It won its time slot. It was Tuesday night. It beat a rerun of Roseanne. Mm, That's pretty impressive, actually. 
I feel like giving it a Roger Maris asterisk for, for beating the home run record. I, I don't know if it's that big of a deal. It was back then. I mean, honestly, it tied Roseanne. They both got a 12.2 rating and a 22 share on Tuesday night. And then I couldn't find the next week's ratings, but the rest of the episodes aired on Thursday nights. And the first was really two episodes. We say this is seven episodes. That's how it was aired. It was made as eight episodes. They just aired two back-to-back on that Tuesday night like a premiere movie. And then they aired all the rest on Thursday nights. By the third episode, it wasn't in the top 25 of the week. Right. That's what I predicted. It was There was no way. It was losing to dinosaurs reruns by the end of it. Like, it, <laughs> that if there's nothing it's going to be beating that it's up against. If only Harlan DH so much that he could be saying, I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we get a season two? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. This thing probably should have been exactly what King pitched, a miniseries. And they could have gotten it to some kind of conclusion and thus properly marketed it as a movie afterwards. And when this didn't do well in the ratings, CBS called King like, it's over. It ended on a cliffhanger. The end of episode seven is very hard to find. I did end up going on eBay and paying way too much for somebody's VHS tapes where they taped them. That's not really giving us a hint at how much you paid. A quarter is way too much for this thing. (laughs) 50 bucks, because that's the only way. I can't find it on YouTube. I couldn't find it on... So I I watched this on YouTube. I watched the VHS version. They also had the six-hour version. That, That wasn't the whole series with the original ending either? Here's how it was released. First, you had your seven episodes on CBS that ended on a cliffhanger. Then when they told King it was over, King's like, well... Give me four more hours. I can wrap up this whole story in four more hours. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) You have four hours to clean out your desk and get the fuck out of our studio. (laughs) So when they wouldn't give him the four extra episodes, and why would they? This thing bombed in the ratings. Yeah. They were never forgiving like that. I mean, I remember similar requests being made for Twin Peaks and its finale. And that's why it ended up having that. Firewalk with Wing movie. Again, though, Twin Peaks, I can understand why you need another four hours to wrap that up. This. Oof. <laughs> so then they decided what they were going to do was put it out on video and take some alternate footage and wrap up with a happy ending instead of the sad cliffhanger ending that it had ended on. So what I watched is considered an ending? Yes, it's the best they could do when you can't shoot anything else. (laughs) When you're not allowed the budget to bring people back together and do more, this is the best you can do. And I think we have to give it a mulligan for the ending being that this is the best they could do. I mean, the ending's not my real problem with this, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And I would also say that if they had been smart, they would have, in the production of this series, already filmed some kind of ending, knowing that it was a possibility that this thing might get canceled. I mean, usually that's how it's handled now of, we have an ending if we need to, but we will go for the other one if we're going to get renewed. Yeah, I agree. But back then, I I think all these people were like, look at Twin Peaks. It was a big hit. It was canceled by this point. But not by the time it was filmed. Yeah, okay. But yeah, it was a quick flame out for Twin Peaks. Yes, it went from hottest show to cellar dweller within a matter of months. 
And so this thing was already in the can. There was nothing they could do. And so the best thing to hope is that Stephen King's name and clout carry something to people in summer 1991. Yeah, by summer 1992, it was a double VHS set. I remember renting it at my local video store and watching it late one night. And my memory was... The first tape held together pretty well, but by the end of the second tape, I had not a clue what was going on. There were all these characters coming in and out. I called it a poor abridgment. Then, recently, I think in Germany and France only. Germany's still committing war crimes by keeping this thing alive. (laughs) (laughs) They released the extended DVD. Oof, that just hurts to think about Where was the demand? What research marketing persons like, oh, guys, there's a demand for the uncut version of this with the original ending. Like, does anyone know economics? Like, they want to make money, don't they? (laughs) Who is going to buy this? You have no idea how many times I own this. I own this movie, if we're going to call it that, like six times in my collection. (sighs) Partially because it keeps coming in box sets. Every Stephen King box set I have throws golden years in there. That's the only way. Like, King's got some deal. Like, I still need to get my royalties off this. Like, you, if you're going to do a box set, you got to include golden years. I got it from the library, and, yeah, they put it in with uh, Langoliers and something else. <laughs> Again, yeah, I, I watched this off YouTube, ripped from a VHS tape, like, had to sit through that minute-long FBI warning, awful quality, <laughs> awful sound, and yet that will not be my problem with this uh, film, I guess we're calling it, this TV show. So I saw... First, for the first time in my life, I got to see the full series mostly. I got my hands on the French DVD, and it is split up into episodes. It doesn't have end credits, but it does have opening credits. I got so sick of hearing that David Bowie song by the time it was over. Oh, I do not like this David Bowie song, and I can't believe this is the actual version. I watched the entire television series, except the German version still had the conclusive happy ending. Then I watched the abridged version, which is out on DVD. It is the exact same cut that was out on VHS. And then, thanks to that eBayer, I got my hands. I had to hook up a VCR, which I haven't needed to do since Supergirl when we reviewed (laughs) that. And I hooked up a VCR, and I got to see the original cliffhanger ending. So I have now, I believe, seen every frame of the Golden Years at least twice. You may be the only one. You could get like a panel at Comic-Con if that ever comes back as like the <laughs> Golden Years expert. I've never been, you know, I've stopped being surprised at how cults can build up around the smallest of things. But, but I You're going to tell say, me this has a cult following. I come dare on. say there's probably, even in Stephen King's circles, the super fans probably haven't given this more than a single watch. Drink the Kool-Aid, people. End your life. This is not worth worshiping. Guys, I'm in those Stephen King Facebook groups that tell me Stephen Weber is better than Jack Nicholson. Yeah. They love this. <laughs> you you got to ask about Golden Years, Artie. You got to ask. They talk about it all the time. They bring it up like a, a, their own free will. They mention this thing. Yes, and they are jealous I have these tapes. Wow. I, okay. You should sell them for as much money as you can get. <laughs> People who won't wear a mask in public and those who are jealous of Arnie for having these tapes. I don't understand. (laughs) Sorry, we we have different minds. (laughs) So the basic difference, if I heard all the different ways they've packaged it, there's two. You can either watch it 
in what a six hour length or a four hour length. I saw it in a reduced four hour length and I can't imagine what was the extra two hours. Yes, Stuart, I'm there with you because I watched this four hour thing and I'm like, I don't know why this is even four hours. How could they add two more? What they cut is a lot of character moments. It was far more focused on relationships and not plot in the six hour cuts. We lost love scenes between the two main characters, Harlan and his wife, Gina. Uh, I get a real uncomfortable shower scene in this one. They didn't cut him enough. No, no, no. I, I definitely felt that missing. Like the show is about these oldsters and yet this movie, they're barely in it. Yeah, that is the thing. I do, like, they say this is about a Benjamin Button getting younger, and then I don't feel like that premise will ever play out. And the general had a little bit more in the way of characterization. There was some more Stephen Root stuff. Here's the thing is, I'm watching it, and I could go to moviecensorship.com, and it's going to tell me every frame that's different. And I tried, but the minutia was just crazy making. Like, this was cut four seconds. I'm like, okay, I need to see what I can feel the difference to be. Where's the 120 minutes of cuts? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could remember is when Steven Root is firing the old man for being old, he has, like, a five-minute monologue. <laughs> what? Where he goes, my father loved beef roast, but we couldn't afford beef roast growing up, but sometimes my mother would buy a beef roast because it just made my father so happy. And he would carve that beef roast on Sunday night, and he would just light up. And then on Monday for lunch... We had beef sandwiches. Are you giving us the whole monologue? I'm abridging it. <laughs> this sounds great, though. I wish this was in it instead of most of the stuff I had to watch. And then Tuesday for lunch, we had beef and gravy. And then Wednesday for lunch, we had chip beef on toast. And by Thursday, we were pretty sick of this roast beef, and we were more than happy to see it thrown out. See, the roast beef was a metaphor for an old man. No, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So King is claiming that his is not stream of consciousness. That Because you talk about passages like that, and it feels like someone aping David Lynch and that, that those kind of eccentric character quirks that he's known for. I think this is King being King. I think Twin Peaks, in many ways, took from King. Sure, Lynch brought his own artistic style, but the whodunit, a lot of the otherworldly creatures and weirdness, the fact that it's a small town with all these quirky characters traces all the way back to Salem's lot. No, we've covered Twin Peaks. They're not influenced by Stephen King. It was Peyton Place. I believe there are King influences through pop culture in Twin Peaks, especially the second season where Lynch was less involved, but... King wrote the first six episodes here, and then another guy came in to write the last two while Stephen King gave him the story to write. So what you have here is King writing, and I don't think King is writing thinking, I'm going to write my Twin Peaks. No, no, I didn't say that. What I said was, I have characters that are just trying to just, I can do whatever I want, I can have them just... Talk about roast beef for five minutes. That's the kind of thing that only David Lynch could have gotten away with on 90s television. So he wants to do that too. He wants to have a platform where he can just freeform on any subject that pops into his head, plot and audience be damned. Yeah, and definitely plot be damned. But I'll say it right now, Jacob, you're letting be known your seething hatred 
before this. I mean, anyone that watched five minutes of this knows it's not a not recommend. I mean, come on. We're going to play this game? I agree. I agree. There's no, there's no need to be coy. This is an awful, awful show. Having watched the series, had it had a conclusion, I'd probably give that a recommend. I'm still on the fence on whether or not I recommend this. You're drinking the Kool-Aid, too? That green Kool-Aid? It was an interesting series with characters I got to come to care about over the span of six full hours. It would be eight if it had commercials in it. Like the VHS tapes I have still have the commercials. Those were retro fun. Your bootleg $50 eBay tapes had the commercials? Yes. The Terminator 2 ads were great. (laughs) But the four-hour version, I have to say, I felt like I lost a lot of connection with these characters. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about the ins and outs as we go. I'm going to say that the very common four-hour version is actually inferior. Much like certain extended cuts from Peter Jackson, it gets better when it gets longer. None of those hobbits, but... You know, Fellowship of the Ring, the extended version is better. Here, if you can watch the six-hour version, it's going to be better. It's not going to waste two more hours of your time that you might feel you wasted in the four. It's going to let you have more time to connect with these characters. And I got into it like I would a TV series. Did I love it? Twin Peaks love it when I watched all the episodes? No, but... I liked it like I liked The Walking Dead, and I know some people are over the moon of that. I was kind of, you know, it's good for the first couple seasons of Walking Dead, and then I faded away. It's a show that had I watched it in the day, I definitely would have tuned in week to week to see where it went. Each episode made me care more. With all this Twin Peaks talk, I just got to ask you, Stuart, hypothetically, if you were as hyped up for this as Twin Peaks, where you had your pine salt and your donuts, like, what would you have when you'd watch this, like, green glow sticks and a marionettes? I would think some Imodium AD. <laughs> Metamucil, some old people yeah. stuff. Yeah, I would have my grandma is probably what I would have. <laughs> like I would just invite like my rents over for, for the first time to watch television together. <laughs> you want to watch Freddy's Nightmares? No? Okay, how about this? This might be a good compromise <laughs> show. But I look forward to, because I definitely feel like the show is missing all of that humanity. So if it's there and it's missing, I look forward to you explaining where it would have gone in and and who these people are because it what we're left with is a shell and so i only give them the plot and we'll get through golden years harlan williams is a 71 year old janitor played by keith zerbajka married for 50 years to his wife gina played by francis sternhagen due to his advanced years harlan is about to lose his job at a military scientific research station called falco plains but on what's it to be one of his last days an explosion occurs The crazy scientist Dr. Richard Todhunter, played by Bill Raymond, was researching how to regenerate tissue to help heal injuries faster and regrow limbs. But Todhunter had proceeded with an experiment despite a red light on the computer panel. The result was a disaster that killed two of Todhunter's assistants. Harlan is caught on the outskirts of the explosion, and he's unharmed, but his eyes are glowing a bright green. Soon after, the green goes away, but Harlan discovers he's becoming younger, his hair's turning darker and his eyesight's improving. The explosion garners the attention of the government shadow agency known as The Shop. They send in agent Jude Andrews, played by R.D. Call, to make sure the accident is covered up, and the research continues as it has military applications such as healing soldiers on the battlefield. 
Andrews gets pushback from Falco Plains Commanding Officer General Louis Cruz, played by Ed Lauder, and his Chief of Security Terry Spann, played by Felicity Huffman. And Spann, by the way, is also Andrews' former partner when she worked for the shop. Andrews starts to kill everyone who has knowledge of the experiment and the unexpected de-aging of the old man. To save Harlan's life, Terry takes Harlan and his wife Gina on the road to escape the shop. Harlan grows younger every day, leading him and Gina to wonder if he'll end up an infant, and what after that? They go to Harlan and Gina's daughter's apartment in Chicago, but despite their best efforts, Andrews is hot on their trail. His troops surround a hippie safe house where Harlan, Gina, Terry, and General Cruz were hiding. Harlan and Gina go on the run through a storm drain, chased by Andrews. And as they're caught by Andrews, Gina seems to be having a heart attack. But Harlan starts glowing green. He holds his wife tight, and they both disappear. This distracts Andrews, who's shot in the back and killed by Terry. Terry and the general then decide to go have some romantic R&R together as credits roll. I can't wait to talk about the general's getup at the end of this. Ooh, what a disguise. <laughs> And you know what, though? Felicity Huffman and the Green Glow. Those are the two who I know went on to work again. Felicity Huffman had Desperate Housewives. The Green Glow had Tommyknockers. Felicity, make sure you don't pay for your kids to get into USC because it's going to go bad for you. <laughs> You're going to spend some of those golden years in prison. Yeah, was he raising money to get his kids into college? Is that why he sold the rights to this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I want to say I'll start with a positive note. I, in putting in this disc, just automatically started singing the David Bowie disco song, Golden Years. I'm surprised they got the rights. I'm not into this Bowie song. I, I said it earlier. Not my favorite. He was in that shit college band, Tin Machine. It was like his worst musical moment. It's actually, I'm a fan of almost everything that he's put out. I can find one song on the album I like. Nothing. Goose eggs on Tin Machine. It's horrible. Did he pick that on purpose? Did he name it Golden Years because of the Bowie song? Why would Stephen King be in? I mean, his whole era is 50s, 60s. He didn't like disco. I'm guessing he did. He incorporates rock lyrics in most of his literature. He quoted so many rock songs, including Blue Oyster Cult when he did The Stand. And, Stuart, you say 50s greaser, but keep in mind, King had a rock band that he was in with Dave Barry and several other writers called, I believe they were the Remainders, and he loved ACDC enough to give them an entire movie with Maximum Overdrive. I think Bowie was his jam, and he owned a radio station that kept playing rock in Maine after it was going to go out of business. He did it as like a charity project because he wanted to keep rock and roll playing up there. I'm guessing he reached out to Bowie himself because he had the juice and got golden years. I guess it's also weird because despite this high concept premise, I barely feel like the movie, maybe the TV show is different, but I barely feel like this movie is about being old or the problems that happen or the good things that happen in your golden years. The whole concept of it barely registers with me. 
No, I, I agree. Like, again, Arnie, you'll have to tell us if we missed something by not watching six hours of this, but because this is the opening credits that we're seeing, right? Like, this is how every show would have opened with this farm or the, and then these lab rats being experimented on, an explosion, and then an old man. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, so some experiment and it's going to affect this guy's age. Like, I knew nothing going in, but I kind of figured it. So I, the whole time I'm waiting for this guy to get younger and for this to say something about age. And I waited four hours and I guess I. I have to wait six to get those answers. This has a double bind situation. All the commercials, and there were many for this show, told you the premise. Old man caught in accident starts growing younger. So that's what you're tuning in for. And yet it gets there so quickly that it doesn't have much time to ruminate on age. I think most of the first episode is in this four-hour cut. I think they cut very, very little out of the beginning and cut everything out of the future episodes. So you've seen pretty much what there is on aging. There is some more later on with his wife, Gina, comparing her advanced years to his younger years. And there's a lot of he has more energy than she does. He wants to dance. She can't keep up with him anymore. Yeah, in this one, it feels like, oh, I got to buy hair dye, so my I still look old. Like, that's what I felt like I got with the aging stuff in this one. Very little, like you said, Stuart, just pondering and rumination about aging and what that means. There's none of that even in the six-hour cut. Holy shit. Okay, so I don't have to watch that. Holy shit. Then total failure. What we get of it, then, what I'm asking for is we have this opening where this... 70-year-old man is riding Pee Wee Herman's bicycle to an electrified fence where there's just tons of animals just dead from frying. They've got to keep it so electrified to keep everyone out from their top secrets about agriculture. I mean, okay, and there's a lot of lip service paid in the first 20 minutes to this guy needs to retire because he doesn't understand computers. He can't pass his eye exam. He doesn't remember the combination lock on his locker. Yeah, it beats you over the head with those themes. So you're waiting for them to play out. I actually thought all those animals, like that green stuff was going to make them come alive or something, <laughs> reverse their death. Well, no, his his fellow custodian is taking online taxidermy class yes. so he can sell them. And again, local color, <laughs> we're going to get a lot of local color. This series, this movie, the four hours, is nothing but people just saying the weirdest shit. <laughs> I mean, it is definitely trying to populate. I, I could see lines to many of these characters in other King work. I was looking at the stand a lot, and this other janitor was a step away from M-O-O-N. That spells taxidermy. And, Stuart, we've had this debate before. Does Stephen King hate the working man? And I've said many of his heroes are working men like Stu Redman. And here I feel we have another one. This guy obviously doesn't have a lot of education. He doesn't know computers. He's working as a janitor. We see that he did serve in World War II. Is there some reason, I, I was looking for it in the movie, like, is there a financial hardship? Why is he still working? You're of age. Go get that Social Security. You got a house. That's probably paid off. It doesn't seem like you're wanting, and I guess he just got a work ethic. He just doesn't know what else to do at 71. Keep in mind all those Walmart greeters. Not all of them need the job, and at the hospital where I used to work, there was a volunteer program for elderly people to come in and be 
guides and show people to offices and things because they needed to feel useful. I don't know. It's one thing to say, welcome to Walmart. This guy's cleaning toilets, probably. He's a janitor. Like, at 71? Give me that Social Security. Any television writer would know in the first episode, if not in the first segment... You explain what this character is all about. We get, yes, I get very much that he doesn't want to be thought of as over the hill and keeps arguing that he's 70, not 71. But at the same time, he's, yeah, huffing and puffing on a bicycle. He doesn't even drive a car. It's a glamorous job. He's riding a bicycle because it's Stephen King, right? Like, he did that in It. There was that red bike. I feel like that's just a Stephen King thing is having a bike. I thought it was because of his eyesight he can't drive anymore. We needed so much more on who he was, if not right away, which I would argue in television, you do it right away because you want everything to happen as quickly as possible before people get confused and turn the channel. That was on my mind from when we talked about Langoliers, like we talked about how fast they got into what is the basic plot of that. Like people disappear on a plane and there's some survivors. And you were talking about that, Stuart, like TV, you got to get that in before that commercial break where people flip the channel. And I was watching this. I'm like, is the commercial break like three hours in? (laughs) Because I I want to change the channel. Like, where is the hook? Yeah, the hook is, I think it is in the first segment. At the same time that he's arriving at work, we have the worst named scientist of all time. Yes. I just hate this. I hate even repeating it now. Dr. Richard X. Todd Hunter. What the (laughs) fuck is that? It sounds like his name should be Todd Hunter. Right. Not Todd Hunter is his last name. With the X, all of that is like, who came up with that? And the hair and all of this is just like, oh, you should be on Nickelodeon, not CBS. (laughs) I mean, this lab that they show us, they they say he's like working in a, with a particle collider. Like, don't we have that? The the hand-around particle collider that... That wasn't invented yet, but, like, we know what these things look like in real life. Like, was this something he just made up? There's no reference because it's a bunch of glowing green things with rats. I'm thinking a a particle collider. You're spinning atoms around and smashing them into each other, possibly creating black holes that put us in an alternate reality. Like, you're not doing that with rats. That's because we have that today. We didn't have that in 1991. So particle collider, he thought rats. They say it's a particle accelerator, so maybe it's not the same thing. But when I saw this the first time recently, because remember, I saw this once in summer 92 and never again, despite how many times I bought it. When I see this easily mad scientist on this awful, awful lab set, I mean, it's kept dark to hide the cheapness, but garish lights. It just reminded me of cheap syndicated late 80s shows like War of the Worlds and some of those. When I saw this, I'm like, this is going to be an utter piece of shit that I'm going to have to sit through for 10 hours. The six-hour full series and the four-hour mini-series. I really, really had a bad feeling about this during this terrible science experiment where a light is red and he's like, do it anyway. Yeah, in the uncut version, how many more minutes do they talk about this light in its faulty wiring? A couple. Jeez, <laughs> it goes on forever. Oh, it's faulty wiring. It's red. It's gray. It's- I get it, Todd Hunter. You just want to do something with these rats. I don't know what you're doing. It's a mystery to me, so I'm having a hard time being that into it. Maybe he should do the experiment. It's so important. Even if you jump ahead and when he finally explains what he's up to, what he says is that he wants to regenerate flesh really fast on the battlefield. That's why the military is paying for this. I don't know where rats 
are going to come into that. I mean, you always start with the rats, I guess. But are they injured? Are they, they have a scar even on them. They look perfectly fine. I don't see how you're going to know whether they are regenerating flesh. Later on, he's going to do the same experiment on a clock, okay? Yes. I don't get his science. <laughs> I did not understand what was going on at that point. Like, the movie had lost me already by then. It made me wonder if he, in fact, was working on a time machine. Okay, we're going to talk about the sun standing still later. I thought that's where this was going by that point, that this had something to do, like, with all time reversing. I don't think that they've revealed what his true motive is. This is the cover story that he's healing soldiers on the battlefield. Or maybe he's trying to heal soldiers on the battlefield and accidentally created a design machine. If we had those four extra hours Stephen King wanted, <laughs> I bet we would know because there's a lot more. One of the cliffhangers is all about Todd Hunter and his dad's grave. Yeah, that never got resolved, did it? No, it came back at the cliffhanger. At one point in the series, you see him go to his dad's grave, and he's talking about how his dad was obsessed with time, and he buries a watch. I had flashbacks to the Langoliers. Does Stephen King have a problem with his father? This is the second Stephen King film I've watched, you know, for this podcast, where it's people with daddy issues. Stephen King didn't have a father. He went out for a pack of cigarettes when King was like two and never came back. All right. I thought Todd Hunter's deal was like, again, were we going to get zombies? That was one thought. He's going to try to reverse his father's death and raise him from the grave. Well, I'm glad they don't get stuck in the Bangor airport. I mean, I do think <laughs> what they have is, I mean, it's recognizable. I know this series. It was on CBS 15 years before. The Incredible Hulk, right? I don't know much about gamma rays. I don't need to. Basically, you shoot a guy full of the stuff. He glows green. And then you're going to have an adventure where everyone's chasing him. This is the same premise as that show. Or The Fugitive, as King went back to. You know, I think when I was reading his stuff about The Fugitive, I definitely was thinking about The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I mean, I agree. All all those shows kind of follow the same formula. But Fugitive was a murder mystery. A wronged man on the run. So was Hulk. I mean, yes, but Hulk also, again, with the supernatural, he was trying to find out the science behind it. That's where this show, I mean, what is the appeal? Dramatically speaking, what is the appeal of someone that gets younger and younger? How does that lead to anything dramatic involving, I mean, obviously the character, it impacts their personal life, but why would everyone in the world be chasing someone like that? Well, yeah, they have to go through the explanation. I mean, there's a lot of happenstance that occurs here, even to get Harlan involved in this accident. And it's going to show him to be a good person. While everybody is racing out of the building, when this machine explodes, Harlan's going to grab a fire extinguisher and run towards it. Yeah, and I'm cracking up because, yeah, Chernobyl's melting down. Let's grab that fire extinguisher. Like, that's not going to help. But then they show the other scientists that were in there, and they've got fire extinguishers, too. So I'm like, I guess that's what you use to put out green glowing radiation stuff. Yeah, and we see Dr. Richard X. Todd Hunter is not a good person because he runs away and knocks this guy down and bloodies his nose, as if we didn't already know from the crazy gear and the fact that he insisted on doing this experiment, even though the dials in machines were saying, red light, don't do it. Yeah, so this gets Harlan in that accident, but I don't know how many of Todd Hunter's superiors even knew or cared what he was doing until he blew up half the building. And again, agricultural research under what guise? It doesn't matter. Well, that's the guise. The guise is agricultural research. It's like Andromeda Strain. They're not really researching agriculture. 
it's after this explosion that we get our real bad guy showing up because Todd Hunter isn't the bad guy. He's just a crazy guy who's doing the science stuff. But R.D. Call shows up as Jude Andrews. I don't know R.D. Call. I looked him up. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was in Born on the Fourth of July. Some vet in the background, probably. He played Chaplin. That would be two years before this. But I do not recognize R.D. Call at all. But he's the real bad guy here. He has been sent by the shop to make sure, despite... Whatever Todd Hunter did, whatever regulations he may have broken, he's going to clean it up by killing everybody who knows about broken regulations to make sure Todd Hunter can keep experimenting. Yeah, because there's a general, General Lewis Cruz, he runs the facility, but this is another government agency. It's Again, there's like helicopters flying in and... Felicity Huffman's character, Terry, is concerned when Jude shows up. You have to have your Stephen King antenna up. The shop means something because they're the reoccurring baddies that are behind a lot of malfeasance. Hey, look, when they say Captain Trips in this, I got that reference. No, they're the ones that made Drew Barrymore a fire starter. Oh, okay. They're even going to drop a reference to Rainbird. Rainbird was George C. Scott's character in Firestarter. Or Malcolm McDowell's character in Firestarter 2 rekindled. Oof. Nope, I'm <laughs> stuffing that fire out. Yeah. <laughs> then then it means something that he's coming in here to take over the project. But I agree with you. This show will be far more about bureaucracy and men in black stepping on each other's hit jobs than it ever will be about golden years in aging or de-aging. Yes, Arnie, you talk about Stephen Root's five-minute pot roast monologue. Like, why is Stephen Root in this so much just, like, going around? I don't want Harlan working here anymore. I think he cheat. Like, he is so concerned about these optometrist exams being done on this base. Like, why is so much time being devoted to it? I feel like when they abridged this... Whoever did the editing was like... Awful job. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He either should have cut more or cut less. More, way more. I was actually like... Because I knew there was a two-hour difference between what was on TV and what I was watching. So as I was watching this, I'm like, why has this got to be two VHSs? That's extra money. (laughs) No one's buying this except maybe Arnie and some weird people on Facebook. (laughs) Let's get this down to one VHS. Cheaper to manufacture. You don't need a big box. So as I was watching this, I'm like, why is this here? Cut this, cut this, cut. Like, I almost want to do my own edit. My belief is for people like me who wanted to see the series but couldn't. Wouldn't you want the whole thing, though? I would, but back then in 1991, multiple tape VHS sets were a rarity. I mean, I think Twin Peaks was perhaps the very first multi-tape VHS set I bought in my life because it had one episode per tape. But I think they looked at two tapes as the economic cutoff. That's what Heat was. You know, a lot of movies that ran over two hours, The Godfather. Titanic, yeah. Yeah, Titanic would be a decade later. But yeah, two tapes seemed to be the cutoff as to what would be considered affordable. And so what they wanted to do was keep as much of the TV series as possible and yet fit it on two tapes, which makes me wonder why these DVD releases, which are double DVD releases, still are the same VHS cut and don't include that German extended cut because that would be so much better. But when they cut it down, I think they just looked at the threads 
that led action and cut the character moments, but kept so much with his military crew and things, which I would have cut because it doesn't add anything. And when you lack the characterization of your lead character, Harlan, and his wife, Gina, when you remove those characterizations, leaving character moments with Steven Root or Ed Lauder feels imbalanced. I do think this four-hour edit makes it feel like a story about the military, whereas the six-hour edit, it felt a lot more like Twin Peaks, where there was the Laura Palmer storyline, but there was also the various other things going on, and it just felt like an ensemble piece, but Harlan didn't feel like he got the shaft the way the four-hour does. Look, if there's a hook to this, if this means anything at all, it's the idea that I'm partnered with someone and I'm going to lose them because as they continue to age gradually, I'm going to be more and more age inappropriate. And that's painful. It's making her insecure. The heart of the show is Gina and Harlan. And they are really sidelined. The moments they do get, when she comes running to the infirmary to see if her husband's okay, they give them a shower sex scene? Like this was the way to show their love? Yeah, the fact that they're going to have this conversation about who gets to wash Harlan's dick. Like, yes. He's, he's like, I can wash it myself. But if this nurse, this young nurse is an expert, I guess let the expert do her thing. Then Gina gets like all jealous. And she's like, I'll wash that dick. Like, I thought it was the taint because she's like, there's some areas you can't reach. <laughs> it could be. But yeah. And then it ends up in a shower scene. I thought. And they give, again, lip service throughout the thing where Gina's like, oh, I never felt old because you were always with me. That's bullshit, by the way. In my 30s, I threw my back out. I'm like, I'm starting to feel old. Like, in my <laughs> 40s, everything hurts. My vision's gone. Like, I don't care how much I love my wife. I feel fucking old. <laughs> But I was expecting like that to be like some real dramatic moment where he's a 20 year old and she's like 70 and he still loved like I'm waiting for these moments that never come. I agree. I did. I knew the premise of this show and I believed it would be closer to Wonder Years. Each week he would be reminded what he's lost by getting younger. I mean, I think that there would be an irony in getting the wish fulfillment of I'm young enough to do the job again, but I'm losing everything that mattered in my life. And that's definitely there in the extended cut, especially what it all comes from is Gina. Gina feeling insecure because Harlan is de-aging and he doesn't even realize what he's been gaining. Gina has to point out to him how much faster he's walking, how much more energy he has. But what does Harlan think about that? I never get a monologue about pot roast or anything else where I understand how he feels about the de-aging. Yeah, I, I get that like, oh, I don't need glasses to drive anymore. We get plenty of that moment. I don't need to be hit with that particular hammer. What the skillful writer would do would, without hitmen and shop assassins, be able to talk about the drama of the relationship. They needed to have kids. They needed to have other people in their lives that were impacted. Again, you would make this a drama. You would not make this about who killed the ophthalmologist. They do have three kids. Oh, there's only one blind kid in the cut I saw. Yeah, they have three kids, although we only get to meet one kid, but they talk about their kids more in the six-hour cut. But you're right. Even in the six-hour cut, Harlan is so worried about Gina that he never talks about how he feels about what's happening to him. He's worried about making sure she's okay throughout all of this, which makes him selfless, but makes him bland. 
I feel like the performers are pretty good. This is well cast. I'm assuming that this actor is a fairly young 30-something that's wearing latex. Yep. He was mid-30s with a six-hour makeup job at its heaviest. Yeah, I bought it. That is not a complaint. I believe when he is acting opposite a woman who is obviously much older and not wearing old-age makeup, that they could be a couple. But they just aren't given any moments. There's not one charming moment between them. They have that in the longer cut. There's some charming moments. The only thing I'm saying you don't get is Harlan saying how he feels about what's happening to him. Which is a problem. Like, to me, that's what you asked me. What's Golden Years about? Oh, a guy de-aging. Some science experiments make him go younger. That's what I expect. Like, how would I react in that situation as I'm gaining my youth back and my body stronger again? But I got these loved ones that are older. Even, even though I might my mindset might be the same age as them, my body's younger and I can just do things they can't anymore. That would be more interesting is this whole movie is them running from something but Stuart mentioned Incredible Hulk my thinking the whole time was they should be trying to run towards somebody who can help them because at some point he does say what's going to happen to me am I going to become an infant and then what happens after that he does worry about this killing him and I would think that much like David Banner trying to find the cure for his Hulkism, trying to find somebody who might have maybe worked with Todd Hunter and realized Todd Hunter was insane and left, trying to go to somebody who would maybe be able to help him would make it feel like he has more direction. Again, I'm not interested even in the science of it. What science? Yeah. Well, I mean, that something is happening to him that is unexplainable. That science. Having them come up with, like, each week he's swallowing test tubes and seeing what happens. No, I feel like this show needs to have, if nothing else, you have the drama of a family. And you deal with that through this weird prism of de-aging. Todd Hunter is just, that's just a hopeless gimmick. Like, I don't want to understand that. I think the actor is doing a terrible job. All the scenes when they cut back to him and all the weird quirks that he's doing. And again, I don't know how the lab gets rebuilt, but he's allowed to just start doing it again. I thought they moved to a different lab. Was it the same one? How do I know? I mean, who couldn't say? I don't know. Like, at one point, the general, like, isn't allowed on the base, and then he's in Terry's office. I'm like, isn't that on the base? I get so confused. That's definite cuts that you're missing, because things happen to change that. But the story of the abridged cut is really following the cleanup of Todd Hunter's mess, because one of the scientists lived long enough to tell a MacGyver, I don't know if that was a dig at ABC, but tell a Lieutenant MacGyver the lights were red, and so MacGyver now knows Todd Hunter broke protocol, and Jude is going to kill him. Yeah, and so suddenly we need some outside guy to come in and kill everyone, and then kill the ophthalmologist who gave the eye exam, and then kill the guy that took a picture of the ophthalmologist after he was killed. I mean, like, it gets ridiculous. Like, there's no need to kill anyone. You can easily discredit MacGyver. There's no need for any of this garbage. Yeah, I thought the Clinton body count was high until this guy shows up and like, man, aren't people going to suspect something when this many people are dead that all have some kind of involvement with this agricultural supposed testing facility? It seems like a bad solution to just kill everyone. Yeah, the whole inclusion of the shop, unless this is a shop operation, you should have started there. He's a janitor at the shop, doesn't know much about what's going on going on okay but they want to create this tension between jude andrews of the shop 
and someone that used to work in the shop but now works for this agricultural lab, Terry Spann, Felicity Huffman. I barely recognized her. You know, the voice gave her away more than anything. This would be, well, about 15 years before I'd really pay attention to her with Transamerica and Desperate Housewives. I get her confused even now with Edie Falco. Like, I forget who's who. I can see that. And here she's cosplaying as Jillian Anderson on the X-Files. Like, I don't know (laughs) if she saw what Jillian was wearing in wardrobe over at Fox, but she's like, I want in on that. Who played with marionettes, though, on X-Files? Was there an episode where Scully, like, was doing a puppet show? I really want to point this out. This was the bridge between Twin Peaks and X-Files. X-Files did not premiere until 93. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone's copying anyone directly. My point is to say that I feel like she is confusingly looking like the lead of the X-Files throughout this whole beginning. My confusion is that they really try to make her objectified. Like, we get to see the general using his security cameras to stare at her legs. But she knows it, right? She's looking back knowingly. Yeah, she knows. She's okay with it. And then she starts massaging his head and turning him on. But then also we're going to get some of Andrews. Jude Andrews is kind of into her too. It's a love triangle. Yeah, they had a thing before. I guess she used to work for the shop. Right. He obsessed on her, and now this is creating so much drama, I just can't wait to dig in. Wasn't this fucking called Golden Years? What the fuck are we doing here? This is a studio (laughs) note or something about, let's sex this up. We need more sex in the shower. We need old people sex. No studio, not even CBS, is saying, put Francis Sternhagen in the shower, please. Cocoon was a huge hit. People want the gilf. Come on, Arnie. Somebody said it. Arnie, it's here. Like, it wouldn't be here if somebody didn't want it. Like, it feels like a desperate attempt to try to enliven this dead, dead concept that's going nowhere for hours and hours. I thought the shower scene was to show how much in love these two are and how they still have the hots for each other. Their marriage has not grown cold like you imagine so many old people do. Yeah, I get that's what they're telling me, but what's keeping me entertained, it's just old people fucking in the shower. Like, Yeah, <laughs> and maybe you wait until you get him home and he's not glowing green from a laboratory <laughs> experiment. Just maybe. Like, this is something you set up at the beginning before he goes off to work. But then, yeah, Terry, again, she'll do obligatory bra and panty shots later. Like, they're doing whatever they can to try and, like, drum up some kind of intrigue on this dead-on-arrival concept that the shop needs to kill everyone surrounding this janitor guy. Yeah, and it gets to be a bit much. The amount of bodies that Andrews ends up dropping, you know, when he just killed MacGyver and made it look like a car accident, I was like, okay... But then when he starts killing the optometrist when he didn't need to, and he kills the doctor who's feeding him information for no apparent reason. He kills the photographer that was just there to take a picture of the crime scene. Why would that be something you'd want to cover up? Because he might have photos in the crime scene that could lead to him? I'm guessing. You saw the longer cut. Was it there? No. Well, then no. Then this is all (laughs) a crazy wild goose chase. By the way, your first episode, you want to set up the template for what every episode to follow would be. And if this is an adventure on the road, by the hour one mark, 
Motherfucking Felicity Huffman needs to be getting these old people in her car and driving away. That's not till the second tape, I believe. I can't even believe that it takes two hours in the shortcut. It's at the end of tape one when she says she's going to get them on the road in the shortcut. And in the long cut, it's almost episode four before they go on the run. No TV writer would ever do that. You have to tell people what the show is. And if they don't know until, what, episode three? that it's going to be about being on the run, you've done a terrible job setting up your series. And this could be why nobody tuned back in, because they didn't know where it was going. All they saw were nonsensical killings and an old person aging backwards. But it takes until about episode three for Andrews to even realize he should be interested in the old guy and then call whoever his shadow boss is and said, well, they want me to pretend to cover the janitor so I can watch Todd Hunter, but I'm going to pretend to watch Todd Hunter so I can watch this janitor. I mean, it takes a long time for our pieces to get in play, and that is a problem. The thing is, I'm liking the characters. I'm wishing the characters were more active. Oh, by the time they get into play, when I find out this is going to be a road trip show or whatever, like, I'm done. I've tuned out. I don't care. There's nothing interesting about these characters. Even in a bad show or a mediocre one, at least, you could have at least someone that you're interested in and maybe some weird little dilemma, some problem they have to solve that's interesting. Nothing here. I don't care about a thing. There's a strict formula. You have an A storyline, and your A storyline is man growing backwards, which, by the way, I can't even tell. You need characters to keep pointing out, no, there's definitely brown in your hair. I don't see that. I never saw the brown. (laughs) Yeah, I do not see the de-aging. At no point in this entire series will it ever look to me like he aged back a day. Oh my God, it is so drastic. Maybe because I watched the DVD cut on both of these, but it is drastically noticeable. I see the brown in the hair. I see every time, every episode, he is much younger. The makeup is removed until I got to the final episode and I'm like, how would they continue this? They pretty much have him in mid-30s. Again, if you cast a 30-year-old actor, you would think you would want him to look like that with no makeup at some point in your run. But they were saving that for season four? I mean, again, how long did they think they had to unveil this concept? No, he said King didn't ever want to pick up this story again. It was going to follow Felicity Huffman to the next X-File. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Yeah, they wanted to finish this one with, I'm guessing, eight more episodes, but... He said he could have done it in four. Jesus Christ. But no, I mean, it wasn't going to be season four. This was a one season arc, and then we were never going to see any of these people again. Then you needed to have him look like he was 45 by the end of episode two. Like, you need to get this accelerated. This thing needs to move. Like, there has to be motivation. This thing is just dawdling around, thinking it's got all day long to talk about whatever's on its mind and go to the hair salon. I don't think him de-aging that fast would make sense if you want a 16-episode arc, because you hired a guy in his mid-30s. At best, he's going to play late 20s. What exactly was the arc they planned for him? How young would he get? Great question. Did this ever get published in a novel form? Did King ever elaborate? He never wrote it as a novel. No, this is what you have. He's never even explained what he hoped the story to be about? No. I mean, not a lot of people are asking him about this bomb of a TV series. I mean, you said there's a whole Facebook group that's like, they want to get their hands on that German cut. Yeah, but King doesn't respond to them. King isn't in the group. 
No, I, you get my point. I'm not asking for him to, like, spend a year on it. I'm just saying, hasn't he ever given an interview or just put out there on a blog or something that, hey, it's too bad I never got to do this? Yeah, it's too bad I never got four more hours to finish it up. That's it. Ooh. Okay, King fans, next time you go to a, I don't know, book signing, something where you speak and you get to ask a question, golden years, number one thing to bring up, find out for us. Yeah, I have no idea what this series hoped to accomplish. In watching all of this, I have no idea. You're exactly right. Maybe he shouldn't age that fast. What would be the point of doing that? I don't know what the point is. I don't know what they were headed for. It is literally like they stopped this before we even got an act two. And it's four hours long. I think they want him to de-age slowly, but they also want him to have other powers. His eyes glow green sometimes. Later on, we're going to see when the road trip begins, they separate because they're looking for an old couple with a middle-aged or younger woman. Now, first they got to steal a car to be inconspicuous. So let's get a hearse and paint it neon red. Isn't that what the Muppets did in the Muppet movie? No, this is something I hear all the time. I'm not a spy, but I keep hearing in spy movies that the more conspicuous you are, the less attention you draw. Hiding in plain sight. But again, it's just... I mean, when have you ever seen a red hearse? And come on. I have. Does that count? Yeah, it counts. I go to horror cons and half the cars seem to be hearses of various colors. Those are people that want to be noticed. Like, they're not trying to hide, though. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they're cosplaying golden years. I don't know about conventioners. (laughs) But I'm here saying that this is just these adventures on the road. Now that we're finally doing what the show says it wants to do... I don't understand what the adventure is. Well, we keep saying it's a road movie. They don't spend a lot of time on the road. It's almost one episode is on the road, and then they're in Chicago for a while. I thought the engine, again, you're telling me that this was close-ended, but I thought this the story engine, like Hulk was, each week I go somewhere new and have an engagement with the people around me. You know, the joke is, is that she leaves her old car with the keys in it so that teenagers get caught with it and ha 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 a little bit of humor but i think that's a bad idea because they're going to be found with the car if you just parked that car in the mall it would take a lot longer because the kids are going to say where they stole that car from and then you just look what other cars were stolen from there i don't know driving to chicago doesn't seem like it would take that long either i mean i guess that's my adult mind they're in new york yeah i mean again one full night right they can get there by morning Yeah, they get there in one episode. They get on a bus driven by Stephen King, and they get there. I mean, there's not a lot of road tripping is what I'm saying. They switch cars a couple of times. They did cut a major time-sucking subplot. Yeah, I I felt like it because I'm like, oh, okay, we're in the road trip portion of the movie. And then I'm like, where'd the road trip portion go? Now they're at the kid's house. Yeah, they, they had the hearse, and then they swapped the hearse for another car. And then they ran a stop sign and got stopped by a cop. And Terry pulls a gun on the cop, and they steal the cop's car. Well, that's the dumbest thing you could do. Well, it's creating a distraction because then Andrews sends an entire town of police officers after them and they have this whole standoff where they think the people are in the car 
And this goes on for five or ten minutes, and it turns out that they ditched the car and put scarecrows in it to look like them and named them Larry, Curly, and Moe. They get them from the children of the corn. And the police officers are all laughing at Andrews because Andrews had them be so careful about these armed and dangerous scarecrows. So there is a lot more road trip car swapping going on in the longer cut. And it's enjoyable. I mean, it's fine. I get to see more frustration from Andrews. I get to see Andrews boiling over. And I get to see more of Major Moreland's hatred of these people as it kind of comes out. But I'm not going to say you missed any major developments. I mean, what about the Harlan side of the road trip? Because what sticks out to me, he, he gets on a semi and then his eyes go green. And I don't know what happens next. I think the sun stands still and everyone like immediately responds to that. Like, look, you can't even look at the sun because it's going to blind you. How do you notice it standing in one place within 30 seconds where everyone's going to pull over? I, I don't know if I missed something. And then everyone just turns against him. I'm like, how do they know it's him? Did they all see his eyes glowing green? Maybe stuff was cut out and this all makes sense. I'm just left confused. No, that is what it is. And that is a scene I would have cut from the shorter one because they're obviously building, they're teasing something here that would come into play in the end episodes. But since it never comes into play, since we'll never see this again, I know it's probably a very expensive sequence with extras and the sun rising and things, but this makes no sense and I don't understand any of it. He seems to be, he's what, going to become powder or some messianic (laughs) figure, right? No, I thought people were going to turn to him like, heal me, you're Jesus, and that was going to be a big part of this. Like, maybe that's how Jude finds out where Harlan is because there's this new cult or something. Like, I'm thinking of all these ideas, and apparently it was a waste of my time. No, no, no. Slow it down because I think you're right there. He's Jesus Christ, and Judas will kill him (laughs) while he's going to be doing something magical with people week after week. Again, I'm imagining a highway to heaven or something That's what I imagine the TV show would be. Again, you talk about The Fugitive. It's like go town to town. Sure, there was an overarching storyline, but it's go down to town and help, you know, some kid find his lost bike and look for the one-armed man at the same time. He's a green Hulk angel. And instead of getting episode after episode demonstrating that, we get one scene of a trucker pulling over because his radar exploded and everyone on the highway pulling over and praying because the sun is, it's time-lapse photography. It's what should be taking all morning for the sun to rise is taking a few seconds. And it makes me wonder, is this happening all over the earth? Did he speed up earth rotation? What's happening globally? You can't have a sun rise in one spot. So what exactly is going on? Are these people moving faster in time? Is this a Langoliers type thing where they're (laughs) moving at a faster frame rate while everything else is going on around them slower? No, this is never explained. It's an interesting scene that hints at things that could come. And there is some religious imagery around Harlan's house at the beginning. And Gene is going to have a conversation about religion later on in the show. I think you're right. I think you're right with Judas and Harlan. I think that may be how it would have ended. But it never gets there, so this just becomes blue-balling. Yeah, they sing some really annoying, like, have you ever heard of this Lord said to Noah build an arky, arky, arky song or whatever? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you know I sang it every Sunday at Sunday school, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, I went to Bible camp. I was raised to know some of this basic stuff, but I, again... 
they're building to the idea that he has some kind of pseudo, you know, that was big in the 90s. Angels came back. We thought the end of the world with the millennium coming. Touched by an angel. Yeah, like that he would be this figure kind of makes sense. And that this Felicity Huffman is going to be like, this is her X-Files. To, you know, instead of having this in one episode on the X-Files, I just feel like, yeah, they're dragging it out again and again. But it's not touching. This angel is not moving. These, this moment is weird and it's over and no one ever talks about it again. And we never see the aftermath. It just cuts away. That was the end of an episode. That was like the cliffhanger of an episode. And when the next episode begins, he's showing up in Chicago. Right. And meanwhile, like his wife and Felicity Huffman are traveling in some bus. Nobody's talking about the fact that the sun's going streaking by like a comment or it's all about an undercover cop and they call the athlete department. And Stephen King's, of course, the bus driver. Yeah. Driving it off a cliff. I mean, this stuff is, you're right. I don't need to see any more. We know by this point, which should be the good stuff. That is not going to get any better. It wasn't just that this had a slow start as a series. This is a go-nowhere premise. They don't know what they're doing. It's ambling around without any definitive point. But I think the fact that it is basically, in King's mind, a miniseries, that we're not going to have a story engine. We're not going to have a repeated thing of him going town to town and doing things because this is to be a one-season arc beginning to end. But it wasn't even close. Again, all they do is get to the daughter and it's over. Don't tell me that two more hours would have fixed this. What was any of this about? Even if this is a miniseries, not a TV show, you still have an ABC plot. And as one gets resolved, the the one becomes the A, then the C moves to the B. Like, you still got to move along with something that's going to be this long. You you don't tell a seven-hour story where you got a three-hour first act. See, I think what they were doing was looking at Twin Peaks and what Twin Peaks did wrong with the Who Killed Laura Palmer. And they decided, let's just have one season and we're going to make it this story. Imagine if Twin Peaks, if David Lynch had said, we're doing one season, it's going to be Who Killed Laura Palmer beginning to end and everything else that goes on. And then we're just calling the series done. I think that would have been a stronger series and it wouldn't have died so unglamorously. Yeah, be that as it may, you're acting as if this had a clearly defined ending. What I'm accusing King of is having no idea what he's doing. Like none. And no interest in getting there. I just like to watch bureaucrats make conspiracy theories about JFK and I'll have Cruz go to the Watergate Hotel for some reason and then he gets confined to the base and they have all of this garbage about him versus the shop guy trying to hack files or something like that's the best scene of any of them is steven root versus another guy trying to delete files yeah you remember that intense scene in clear and present danger i was right back there what is sparrowhawk i didn't even get like how they guessed the password they're told it every day it changes every day yeah they just have a different password every day so that they recall oh it's the it's the 15th of uh june okay you know it was some rotating password they had to recall okay i hate this show just are you kidding me like nothing pays off like uh just oh whatever like no this is just such a time waste it's such a con Here's the thing. We keep bringing up Twin Peaks. Here's the difference. Like, okay, that, that's got weird things and maybe didn't get resolved the way we want. Like, that was also like a commentary on television as a TV show about TV. You just get those vibes watching and it. it's cutting away to a TV show. The themes, they feel very much like a soap opera like this. 
okay, he wants to just meander around, but what's he commenting on then? I don't know. There's no subtext. There's nothing here. I wish there was some more to it. I do wish that we were finding out more. And here's the thing about Stephen King's writing is he doesn't outline. He doesn't start with a overview or a treatment and then write the book. He comes up with a concept and he comes up with characters and he says the characters tell him what they're going to do. He gets to know the characters and then gets to figure out how they would act and what the situations are going to be. So I can't say he even had a clearly defined path to an end. Maybe that's why he's never really talked about it, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure he had some idea of what all of this stuff was building to, and that would have been nice to know, and it would have been nice to get there. Yeah, it's not something you wait for season two to put in. It's not something that you think, oh, eventually I'll get there. I get that there's fun little stops along the way, and local color is great, but you really need to be telling your story economically if you think you only have one season to tell it. And if you go and say, I want a season, and I'm going to tell a one-season story, and they come back and say, we're giving you half a season, and then we'll see how it does, and maybe we'll give you another half? You better write the hell out of that first half, then, so it gets picked up. I would think you would want to put more in it. Yes. Again, Twin Peaks had, what, 40, 50 characters? Had so many other subplots about burning down mills and what have you. It wasn't just Laura Palmer. Here, it's just Laura Palmer, except nobody really even cares about that storyline, either. It's just... He wanted to make a show about the shop. I'm convinced that ultimately what fascinated him was the idea of this shop guy having to go around and kill people and and his, you know, sexual obsession with an ex-employee and what he's going to do when he catches up with her. Is he going to kiss her or kill her? But I'd say that that is the B plot if you watch the longer version. More time is spent with Harlan in the longer version. In the shorter cut, that's what was borne out was more of the shop. So let's get to whatever ending that there is to get to. They finally reach Chicago and their daughter, despite being blind, insists on wasting electricity and keeping the lights on and hanging posters of communist Chinese leaders (laughs) on the wall because, hey, she wants everyone to know that she's some, you know, granola type and has all of these friends that they can hide out with that are like wavy gravy and, you know, the dead. Yeah, again, when we get here, oh boy, I have been tuning out. I'm not going to deny that. Like, this thing is not holding my interest, but it's probably got to do with the editing, too. I'm like, wait, we're in a hippie commune all of a sudden? Like, where did this come from? Yeah, it does feel like a weird jump. And the daughter just disappears. She's like, I'm going to go up north and get you new credit cards and passports and driver's licenses. Bye. Even then, they're like laying on a waterbed and going, and then what do we do? Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. Like, they're still, they have no plan as to what to actually do about Harlan's condition or what they're going to do about the fact that the shop wants to kill them. The plan for the next several episodes is just wander around and see. Leave the country and see if we can pay for a European trip for season two. Mercifully, Captain Trips is a traitor, and so all of these plans are going to get shot down in a hail of bullets. Yeah, I knew at the moment his name was Captain Trips. That can never be good. But yeah, the catalyst for all of this is going to be Steven Root, who kind of goes like 
Bronson Pinchot in Langoliers, right? He just kind of goes nuts and gets really obsessed about paperwork and who's funding this. Yeah, I wish this was four hours of Stephen Root just doing this, honestly, talking about roast beef like you were talking about and, I don't know, flipping out about people having 20-20 vision or not, like... Oof, it's not even a bright gem. It's not even, it still looks like a rock. It's so unpolished, but that is the only kind of little bit of hope I can hold on to. Again, you've you got to like these people to just riff and do weird things with Coke bottles and scream. And then it just starts a massive shootout where Jude decides, kill all the hippies. Yeah, well, I mean, the audience is rooting for it when they're like, they see Felicity Huffman's gun and like, oh, we can't handle that. I mean, they're just, <laughs> I mean, they're they're playing to the crowd at this point. Like, we know that they go out there and make a Beatles joke about, hey, Jude. And I mean, none of it's particularly funny, but it's it's very broad when we when we see, yeah, this hippie commune, Sybil and Tom be mowed down. I hate the Hey Jude joke, and yet I love the actor who plays Jude's response to it. Like, the facial expression he gives, like he's heard that joke his entire life, and it's just like, ah, fuck. You say whoever this R.D. Call guy is, he pulled off that well. Yes. And then, okay, so the old couple and their escorts are are sneaking out the back, and suddenly they're coming out of a sewer? Yeah, it was a storm drain. And there was a little bit more buildup to there being one there in the longer cuts. You're not filling in a, a picture here. Basically, they just, they ran until they got caught. Jude comes at them. And then what was the original ending? What was the ending that was going to make people tune in next summer in 92? Well, they cut out even in the German cut some of this, but Gina has been kind of clutching her heart and looking pale, and you get that she is dying, and there's more romantic scenes between her and Harlan. We get to see the last time they make love in the shorter cut, but there's a lot of buildup to that in the longer cut, and you get that she realizes she's going to die. Yeah, I definitely pegged her for dead. I thought it would be this shop guy, Jude, would shoot her, right? Well, so she's getting really sick. Harlan won't lead her. Terry and Cruz go into the storm drain to leave. Harlan leaves carrying Gina, and he gets tranquilized. So it's presumed Gina is dead. Maybe not, but it seems like Gina is dead. But you're saying from a heart condition, because she was having a, a frail heart because she's old, she's 67, and that's making her drop dead in this stressful time? Yes. But this could be a false death, right? It's a cliffhanger. It's not a cliffhanger. I let go. I fell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's no way any CBS executive is going to let a 40-year-old hump a golden girl. Like, I mean, she's not coming back for season two. They're not going to show them make love with him being young. We'll talk about the ending they have, but he was pretty young when they had the sex scene here. He was 40-something. You say that, but I did not see it looked a shade off from where he started the movie. Oh, vastly different if you look at... Watch an upscale DVD. It is very, very different. He is very smooth-faced. I'm not even saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's not noticeable. You told me this was a thing about a man turning young and he barely gets out of, into middle age. I don't know what you didn't see, but all his wrinkles go away. His hair becomes fuller and darker. He is... He looks very different. He never acts young. He never becomes young. He becomes middle-aged. He looks like he's 50. He started out as 70. 20 years to me is not dramatic. 
Yeah, I mean, there was still half a season to go where he'd lose 20 more. But So he gets captured and he's taken back to the lab for study. Terry and Cruz are going to go rescue him. We cut back to Todd Hunter back at his dad's grave and he gets that watch he buried earlier for some reason. And then the last thing you see on the unedited ending is Harlan asleep at the lab and his eyes are glowing green. Yawn. That's a hook? Yeah. We've seen his eyes glow green. (laughs) Who cares? But the ending we get, what I was thinking of was Twin Peaks season two and how on edge I was when I saw that Cooper had been inhabited by Bob, I was going, where's Annie? Where's Annie? And how I like called our local affiliate executive at home at night and was like, you got to make this show continue. Do what you have to do. Talk to ABC. But imagine if they put this out on DVD, Twin Peaks season two, and they have that whole last episode. And then Cooper walks into the bathroom and takes a shit. No, he walks back out and says, isn't it great that we defeated the Black Lodge? Credits roll. <laughs> Instead of the Where's Annie stuff, they just add a line of, we won, and then that's the end. That's how I feel about the ending on this disc. Well, what said dialogue, lip service, what Felicity Huffman puts a bow on is that they are going to go off to a magical realm where they can live forever. Like him grabbing her and glowing green and disappearing is like them somehow cheating death itself to live forever somewhere. I don't know, somewhere where it's green. I believe that's Little Shop of Horrors. But Gina said earlier after her lovemaking session with Harlan that she doesn't believe in Catholic heaven, but she believes in an afterlife where the two of them will be together again. And she's saying this because she thinks she's going to die and Harlan's going to live longer But instead, they've died together because she was having, I guess, a heart attack and he was glowing green. And so they just both disintegrate. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Honestly, this is no ending. And they had to know, though, right? I mean, you guys said they should have shot another ending. Yeah. They weren't allowed to shoot anything else. The fact that they had Felicity Huffman shoot the shop agent in the back and had him die and had these two holding each other and fading to green and then had this happy ending of the general and felicity huffman saying that they're gonna take time off and go have a romantic getaway i mean somebody filmed this this had to be a plan b but not a good one yeah it gives the semblance that yes everything has worked out for the characters we theoretically like but yet theoretically i don't think you guys did jacob stewart do you recommend golden years jacob i already said at the beginning of the show i don't so no but look (laughs) if this was really greenlit because of, of david lynch's twin peaks then Golden Years, not The Return or Fire Walk With Me, is the worst thing to come out of Twin Peaks. Felicity Huffman, yeah, add more to her sentence for cheating to get her kids into college because of this <laughs> film. Like, this is bad. There's no hook. Literally no hook. Nothing to keep me interested. And Arnie, look, I, I know you tried to tell me what happened in that six hours. But from what you've told me, there is nothing in those extra two hours that I needed to stay interested here. Nothing about how Harlan felt about getting younger. Hell, anything about someone going through the process and getting younger, like, that's what you're telling me this is about, and then we're going to get a, a three-hour chase for the rest of this film. This is garbage. Give me the Langoliers. I want Langoliers, too. Give me three hours of those Pac-Man just eating up airports. Anything. 
other than this. This is awful, strong, not recommend. You'd have to wait four years after this for Langoliers. Oh, a better wait than watching this for four hours. <laughs> I'm dreaming of the mashup where the Pac-Men come. That's really the ending they should have. Like They come out of the sewer drain and the Pac-Men's there is like, ar, 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 ar. yeah, there's some kind of weird time travel. Those Pac-Men could have shown up and just eaten everything. <laughs> I wish they ate this tape before we could ever have to watch it. Uh, Stuart. Yeah. I mean, I think Stephen King's reputation, first of all, is pretty spotty when it comes to being a novelist and a short story author. I think that many of his books don't really pan out when you get to the end. He really shits the bed when he's a director, Maximum Overdrive, but I do think this is his worst grade of impulses exposed. I mean, Golden Years is going to haunt him forever because there are very concrete rules to structuring episodic television. You got to have that good A storyline to keep the audience hooked. If you don't, they're going to flip the channel. In a novel, sure, you can spend 100 pages on people giving eye exams and shooting marionettes or whatever shit you want to do. That's malleable. Okay, that's a novel. But no TV writer in their right mind would make an entire episode about killing an ophthalmologist. That's not a hook. That's not something that you spend any time on. And here, I think they spend like an hour. David Lynch is an acquired taste, a very different director than Stephen King, a very different storyteller than Stephen King. Very talented at creating a sublimely weird and funny, ominous mood. I think that he certainly became self-indulgent, as we saw in that third Twin Peaks season. But even at its worst, even at his most arch and meaningless, he never touches what this Golden Years does. I mean, they waste so much time without telling you anything about the aging process, about true love, even, you know, the FBI and the shop and all of that. They tell you nothing. It is literally a show before Seinfeld. It is a show about nothing. And it's sad because I think these actors are all pretty good. The sadness is that they're pretty game for doing whatever, you know, is asked of them. But they are overshadowed endlessly by campy hit jobs and a really, really bad mad scientist impersonation. I mean, all that shit with... Dr. Richard X. Todd Hunter. Ugh, just the worst. I mean, it takes some talent to get to be at the the bottom 10 of this retrospective, but I do think that it's right down there with Trucks, the TV pilot, and Firestarter 2 as some of the worst Stephen King we've seen. And again, Stephen King should never write for television again. Ever, 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 ever again. You guys and your hyperbole... I mean, come on. Saying this is worse than Twin Peaks Season 3, no fucking way. I will return to the return any day before this. Are you kidding me? There was there were so many scenes of mood. Maybe it yes. didn't add up to anything, but there were so many well-crafted moments. There's not one moment here. Not one green-glowing moment of pure entrancement. Nothing here is interesting ever. But at least there's a story here that no, there's is not. coherent. No, yes, there's not. There is. There's just yes, a there bunch is. of people shooting each other for reasons. I've got to kill the, the photographer of the eye doctor who stole the report from the doctor. who got. I mean, it's just the endless shaggy dog story leading nowhere. Yeah, the, season three. This does not waste your time the way the return of Twin Peaks did. Oh, it definitely wasted my time. Again, I will watch all of the return, however many hours that was, before I'd sit down and watch four hours of this again. I honestly think I'd cut off my pinky toe before returning to the return. I get that you're mad at Lynch, but I don't know why you're giving King a pass. I do not know why you would let him off for this. Yeah, are your eyes glowing green for this? I believe... 
again, take the time it was released in, 1991. Yep. Pre-X-Files by two years, coming after Twin Peaks in Glamorous End. You gotta think what television was at that time. You can't hold this up to Game of Thrones and Westworld and Breaking Bad level expectations. No, I, I'm holding this up to Growing Pains, and it can't meet that expectation. Mm, I think you haven't seen Growing Pains in a while. But I do find the longer versions, they were languid. I do wish that things got going a little bit faster than they do in the six-hour cut. Do you get a whole lot more of that awful, like, country twangy guitar they keep playing throughout? Oh, constantly. Ugh. Honestly, I thought they were doing a Lethal Weapon score yes, ripoff. I, yes, <laughs> <laughs> With all the guitar that comes in, especially after a joke. But watching the longer version, I thought these were good actors doing good work with a script that was not paced correctly. And what you have to remember is this was not Stephen King's first time screenwriting. He wrote several of the scripts that were adapted, and of course he did Maximum Overdrive. Creep show. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Are you trying to give him a pass because this is his first time doing TV? Because I don't care. You don't do a movie until you've done a short or you've done a student film and you know the mechanics. Where's his Mark Frost? Mark Frost made David Lynch appropriate for television. Where's the guy to tell him, you've turned in shit scripts and we need to form this into something people watch on a weekly basis? That's exactly where I was going, Stuart, is somebody needed to teach him the art of television writing. Like you said, this would have worked better as a novel or maybe as a movie with a single experience and a shorter runtime. But as a television series, he broke the rules about the pacing and how to have a good hook at the end of one episode to make me want to turn on the next episode. There were several episodes, especially at the beginning, where I'm like, all right, I'll push play on the next one. But by the time I got to episode four or five, I was starting to get in the groove of this series. And then when it ended, I was like, I was disappointed that it never got a chance to pay off the things it was teasing. The four hour cut of this is so much worse because you don't get the time to spend with the characters and you're stuck with the plot. And when you boil it down to what the four hour cut does, it points out a lot of stupidities and creates new ones through a mission of scenes that explain things that are going on. But the question for me really comes, I'm on the fence. You're on the fence? It's electrified. You're shocked dead. That's what you get for getting on this fence. Name one good scene in this movie. Name one good moment that was recommendable. I can't even think of one that was good. I can think of people trying to make it good by trying to give the performance, but the scenes never were good. I was very intrigued. I hated the actor playing Todd Hunter. Oh, yeah, it was awful. But I was really interested in what his experiments were going to do. I felt for Harlan and Gina's romance in the longer cuts. I actually enjoyed Jude as this agent, maniacal, psychotic hitman, killing all these people for no reason. I was getting into the plot and the characters, and it made it somewhat recommendable. But the question I have is, do I damn this for having an aborted ending? I mean, this isn't the first time I mentioned the dead zone. The dead zone ended on a cliffhanger too, and it never got resolved. And fans were like, give us a TV movie to end it. And USA was like, no, we're not doing that. And that's the same thing that happened here. What I'm saying is the show is mediocre. 
Oh, it's not even mediocre. I wish it was. No, I'm sorry. Like, I can't listen to you rag on David Lynch anymore about where Twin Peaks went. If you can say this is passable. No, this is nothing. I would prefer a mediocre narrative to a artful, well-filmed nonsense that wastes my time. This is nonsense, and it totally wastes your time. Yep. And the reason why you should damn it to hell is he should have been able to tell whatever fucking story he was going to in the eight hours allotted. He didn't need 16 hours. He needed to get to business and tell his story in one season like he said he wanted to. Maybe so. But what I'm saying is this is uh, on the fence as a TV series. I could recommend it. I could not recommend it. The short version, the four-hour version clear not recommend the longer german cut the six hours with no commercials cut i'm gonna give it a week not recommend because it is in the end a pointless exercise it's masturbatory it's going to intrigue you with its possibilities only to never pay off and i will argue it'll never intrigue you what was the moment where you were intrigued? You say you imagine you wanted to know what would happen in the future you can't tell me of one scene that was intriguing in the moment yeah, the scene where Harlan fell asleep and the sun rose and the earthquake happened. You thought that was good. You thought that scene was good. I was very interested in seeing where it was going, even if it was done on cheap television budget. Wow. That was no episode eight of The Return, where you just watch uh, nukes go off for an hour. Oof. I mean, just garbage. I guess we have different requirements and what we want out of episodic television. Uh, yeah, I would like it to be episodic. That's my number one requirement. This was not episodic. <laughs> if this had gotten a chance to play out, maybe I'd give it a recommend. Or maybe it would just fall upon its own weight because I do think Stephen King had some real pacing problems with this. We know Stephen King's good with his endings, right? I'm sure it would have been brilliant <laughs> when we finally fucking crossed the finish line and poor CBS funded another eight hours of garbage. Yeah, Stephen King is bad with endings. Yeah, can John Turturro threaten Stephen King to fix this ending? <laughs> I'm thinking what we might have had is like the stand. Maybe the hand of God would come down and pick up Harlan and carry him away or something. I don't know. But it is a not recommend in the end. It just, especially watching it twice in three days the second time through i'm like yeah it was fine but it's certainly not interesting enough for me to sit through twice in three days and with the ending it has being such an abortion yeah it's a it's a weaker not recommend god i just i mean again among the very worst we're now 64 episodes in and yeah this was number 55 I'd have to do some sorting of my list to figure out exactly where it is, but it's it's in the middle. Langoliers was better than this. You call that one the worst. Langoliers is far more entertaining. Yeah, that had some brown arrow joys in it. I think I was suffering from a little bit of hyperbole, having just suffered through the Langoliers. I think a lot of times in the Stephen King retrospective, the most recent cut is the deepest. <laughs> yeah, it, everyone's the worst movie when you're experiencing it. I am looking at my list. My worst is Trucks. And that is far, far below what I put Golden Years at. I have Trucks exactly one under this. It's slightly better than Trucks. Oh, I don't want to revisit Trucks to find out. But <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, have, I, I don't have my list right here. I'd have a hard time believing... I, I don't know. What else is on the bottom of your list, Stuart? I'm just, I'm trying to think. All three manglers. They're shorter. Above Trucks comes Creepshow 3. 
Yeah. None of those are four hours, though. That is my problem. Like, this is not a four-hour investment. Creepshow 3 and then Tommyknockers are my bottom three. I have all three Manglers, Lawnmower Man 2, Children of the Corn 6 and 7, Trucks, and then this one is sort of right there with Firestarter 2. Those are all bland. They, they've kind of just faded from my memory. This one, like, I have such a burning hate for this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will fade, though. I do feel like, because there was nothing here to ever hold on to. Yeah, it's going to fade. What Stephen King thing are we going to do next week? So this one fades away, and I have a new thing to hate. I think we need to let this go for now. I think we have we have done our, our due diligence on picking up on the Stephen King series, and I think it's time to move on <laughs> to other things. So thank you for listening. We will be getting back to Stephen King in February, after The Stand finishes its run. But next week, now for something completely different, Tenet. Yeah, I think people have been waiting. I mean, I saw it back in theaters, IMAX, back when it opened. We wanted to talk about it, but I'll just put it out there. I've appreciated having some months to absorb what I watched, because man, is it dense. It's very hard to hear what's going on in that movie. It's very hard to understand what's going on in that movie. And having had some months to process and read the screenplay and watch it at home at my leisure and be able to rewind and turn on captions, yeah, it should be a really big show. Yeah, I saw it in IMAX as well because I wanted that IMAX experience. It was filmed in it. But now I'm more excited for the subtitles experience than the IMAX experience. (laughs) The way Christopher Nolan meant it to be seen with subtitles. (laughs) I have not seen it. It'll be my first time. But Stuart, I got to ask if I I know a little bit about the plot. If you rewind it to catch something, are you actually forwarding it? (laughs) Uh, To be discussed. I suppose you've got me there. Yes. It's all about uh, reverse entropy or or something. I don't know. I'm going to get a degree in engineering and then tell you next week. Do I have to do a memento-like edit where I start in the middle and fan out? I hope not. I I think we want to make it as simple as possible for folks because it's a hard one. It is probably the hardest movie Nolan's ever made uh, to understand. And then the week after that, Wonder Woman. Thank you, HBO Max. Right. We didn't think we were going to get that this year or any other superhero this year. But yeah, they're they're going to release the 1984 sequel. That looks pretty good. The trailers I've seen, I'm happy that they brought Chris Pine back. I thought he was their secret weapon. So 1984, Mall Bangs, Wonder Woman, Chris Pine. I don't know about Cheetah yet. I still haven't seen the the (laughs) Cheetah. They haven't really shown us Cheetah yet. But, uh, you know, what I'm really waiting for is after that, we're going to get back to Uva Bowl and Blood (laughs) Ring. Oh, your favorite. Yeah, that's where the ass kicking really happened. You know, if anything's going to make me appreciate Kristen Wiig as a cat, it's Uva. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, as we get into 2021, who said 2020 was the worst year ever? You got more Uva Bowl coming. Yeah, the last of it. That's the way I'm looking at it. If we want to leave things in the past, like COVID and this awful, <laughs> difficult, stressful year, let's get through Uva too, because we've only got four more films, and I want to just knock them out as fast as we can and get on with my life. I, I heard he just signed on for a Pac-Man trilogy that y'all could be doing <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and then this Friday, we finish off our Rosemary's Baby trilogy with a two-night miniseries. Again, keeping television. This is now playing week on TV. This one, though, 
starring film people, at least we have Zoe Saldana as Rosemary. Yeah, Gamora, and uh, I forgot her Navi name, but Avatar, like, yeah, it's kind of a big star to have, and a very different vibe than the mousy little Mia Farrow. I feel like Satan ought to watch <laughs> out, because this, this, this Rosemary could kick his ass if he tries to grab her anywhere. We hope you can join us for that this Friday. Details at nowplayingpodcast forward slash donate. So, until next time, you know, I've really enjoyed your hospitality. Whatever it was, it's gone. It's over. No more glow. Normal nails, normal eyes, normal everything. Ackerman said it would be gone in 36 hours and it was gone in 24 he never did tell you what was wrong, did he? No. I don't think he knew. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, I, I got, uh, look, I gotta get out of here. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels. I'll believe it when I see it. You will. And also, come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. I gotta schedule the key. In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and more. At least you'll have a record of this if you ever get back here. In our archives are also reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Scream, Transformers, and Robocop. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. I remember all those things we did in those days. I remember all of them. Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. And who's going to help us? I don't know that either. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. If one of us were to take a lot of money out of the bank all at once, alarm bells would go off. But if you were to take out, say, $500 tomorrow, and I were to take out $700 next week, you can also join the now playing patron campaign through our podbean site patrons of ten dollars or more get a new exclusive movie review every month plus even more perks including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review people pay good money for well-mounted specimens that's what the book said find the details on our website yeah, yeah. You'll get your usual payment on the 15th. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Maybe it's time you thought about retiring. I'm not ready to hang it up yet. Man's got to have his work. Associate produced by Jason. We're a team. Were you intimate? Yeah, very intimate. We used to kill people together. Now Playing is edited by Stephen and Arnie. Don't scrub so hard. Sorry. Now Playing, credit narration by Brock. 
I mean, I can read. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Your government appreciates your honesty, Lieutenant MacGyver. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. I assume there's going to be a formal inquiry. Why should I repeat myself? Well, this is sort of an informal inquiry. Thought you'd be more comfortable talking about it with us instead of to a room full of bean counters. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. The regulations on this point are perfectly clear. Damn right they are. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I think principles and rules are very important. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're a jerk. Do you know that? A total worthless jerk. It's been my experience when people say such things, Mr. Williams. Meaningful discussion has come to an end. What a crazy year to be alive. Yeah, I, I do remember when C, CVS, I just went to CVS to pick up a prescription. This other janitor was a step away from M-O-O-N. That spells taxidermy. I don't get that reference. Remember uh, the the big guy who played by the guy from Coach? Um, he kept going, M-O-O-N, that spells Tom. Oh, yes, I did. Okay, you just know that many serious way better than I did. I saw it once. <laughs> Well, it was also in the book. They talk about it all the time in that Facebook group. Yes, they do. <laughs> it's a constant punchline. Yeah, they would be laughing at that joke. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Listen, some of the listeners will laugh, and the rest will just keep listening to whatever's next on the show. <laughs> it, yeah, totally went over my head. I don't know R.D. Call. I looked him up. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was in Born on the Fourth of July. Some vet in the background, probably. He played Chaplin. That would be two years before this. Charlie? <laughs> oh, in 4th of July, he played someone named Chaplin. Yeah. I'm like, wasn't that Robert Downey Jr. that played Chaplin? <laughs> if this was really greenlit because of, of David Lynch's Twin Peaks, I have to say, Wonder Years, not The Return, not Firewalk With Me, is the worst thing to come out of Twin Peaks. Like, oh boy. The, like, Don't Felicity you mean Huff? Golden Years? Golden Years, sorry. I did That That was an unintentional <laughs> Yeah, Wonder like Wonder Years, years something like that. <laughs> yeah. You hate Fred Savage? Yeah, I will uh, re redo that. 